Koinonia, Christian fellowship, communion with God, and with fellow Christians. Koinonia, an association of people who share common beliefs and activities. This is Koinonia. This is community. I am Tom Brown, and your host today, Aaron Brownback. Hey, welcome to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I am Aaron Brownback, filling in for Tom Brown, and I'm excited to be with you today. You know, there throughout history, there have been a lot of demonstrations around injustice, right? So if you think about the big marches that we've had throughout history, the big marches in the civil rights movement, for instance, you got to ask yourself, what is it about marching that really relates to injustice and how we make a difference in that issue or that area? But if you think about like the civil rights movement, no news media crew was following a elderly black woman in the South into a voting booth and recording that she was getting turned down for her vote. You know, no one was capturing all of these small injustices that were building up. And so hundreds of thousands and millions of people got together to march to say, we will stand and we will be a visible representation and a voice for this injustice. Well, the same is true in the area of abortion. People aren't going into the abortion clinics and seeing the child who's being dismembered in the womb. It's only just recently that we've had people like David Daleiden and others who have gone undercover and done investigative journalism to reveal what is really happening in this area. And so I work on these issues of the pro-family movement, and the pro-life movement is a real big part of what I do. And I was at the March for Life this year in January. I would love for anyone listening who has gone to the March for Life or done the march here in Phoenix or been one of the supporters outside of Planned Parenthood and one of those rallies to let me know. Go onto my Facebook or my website at AaronBrownback.com and let me know that you've been there and what your experience has been like. But I was at the March for Life this year. It was great. I had the opportunity to give a speech afterward. And I recently received their um, update on the first 100 days of this pro-life presidency. And it was so encouraging. I don't know if you followed all of the pro-life things that have happened just in the last hundred days, but I'd like to run through of them, a few of them for you. So at the march itself, we had not only Kellyanne Conaway, who um, handled the president's campaign, but we also had Vice President Mike Pence come and speak at the March for Life just a few days after the inauguration. There has never in the history of the march or our country been such a display of support at the March for Life by any presidential administration. We have had incredible appointments to key roles in the administration, pro-life 
people who have been appointed to attorney general, to the head of health and human services as the UN, UN ambassador. We had almost immediately after the inauguration, the reinstatement of the Mexico City policy, which prohibits U.S. funding from going to abortion providers overseas. That's what's been happening for years and years. And that that we reinstated that policy to stop that from happening. The United Nations Population Fund, which supports the China's one-child policy, that was defunded. Um, and one of the best, one of the best pro-life things that has happened since the new administration has taken place is the confirmation of Justice Neil Gorsuch to the Supreme Court. We are going to be talking more about pro-life issues as we talk with Sean Martin from Human Coalition, a group that is working to promote a culture of life in America in our lifetime when we come back after this break. This is Aaron Brownback filling in for Tom Brown on Koinonia Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. We will be right back. This is Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I am Erin Brownback, filling in for Tom Brown, and we've been talking about uh, the first 100 days of this presidency of a pro-life president, and I am glad to talk today with Sean Martin, who has a... um, great, unique perspective on what it means to build a pro-life culture. Sean is the Senior Director of Church Outreach for Human Coalition, a fabulous pro-life organization. And he's going to talk with us a little bit more about that. Sean, you've got a background of being a pastor for 15 years before you started working in the pro-life world. You are the husband of Jill and the father of 11 children, nine of them adopted. Sean, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks, Aaron. It's great to be with you. I'm very excited about the opportunity. So tell us about Human Coalition. Tell us um, a little bit of background of the organization and what you all do to bring about a culture of life in America today. Sure. Well, Human Coalition was started uh, five years ago, a little over, well, a little longer than that, but went full-time five years ago. Uh, and it was started by a handful of business guys. And so uh, we're run like a like a typical business. We measure everything. We're metrics-driven. And we let the numbers dictate what we do. So we have a research team that's always researching. So we do everything from the front end of reaching out to women who are looking to have an abortion. They've already made that decision, driving them into a, a call center to have a conversation with them, uh, try to get them into one of our clinics or the other pregnancy centers that we work with, uh, and then care for them uh, in that process to help them make a decision for life. And then whether they choose life or choose abortion, we want to love them in the long term. So we have a continuum of care that we've built. Uh, that cares for them to meet their their long-term needs to help them uh, stay out of the situation that drove them to choose abortion in the first place. And I work with churches uh, all over the country, primarily in the cities where we have clinics, to help churches talk about this issue because we know that churches uh, really struggle uh, with talking about these kinds of issues. So, so that's a real Sean, high level. How, yeah, how did these businessmen get into the pro-life world? Well, that seems like a pretty big jump. It is a really big jump, but the Lord dealt with each of them in their own way. Um, uh, from our president, Brian Fisher, who sat for the first time with his child, his first child, who was, uh, who's now 17, uh, sat with him in the hospital holding him for the first time and realized 
this is this is who we abort. This this little baby, this is who we abort. And and that was the beginning of God really working on his heart. And it took another, you know, fifteen years before he you know, really made or ten, twelve years before he made the move into uh, working in the pro life space. But it was uh it was the beginning of that process. And, and each one of us has our stories of how the Lord got us here, but it's been pretty marvelous to watch the way he's weaved together now hundred and fifteen, sixteen employees and an organization, all with our own stories and our own call. Wow. So you have 116 employees across the United States? It's somewhere around there. I don't know the exact number, but yeah. And so tell us more about the pregnancy centers. You said you, you have centers that you work with around the country as well? We do. So we, we market for them, specifically marketing to uh, women who have already decided to abort, which is not your typical pregnancy center client. Uh, those are women that are going to be going to the abortion uh, uh, abortion providers. Uh, and there's, we, we've estimated there's about 1.2 million uh, abortion determined you know, women who have grown seeking an abortion uh, every year. And we consider them an unreached people group. So we're trying to reach them uh, for the cause of Christ, for the sake of the gospel, to save them uh, and their children from abortion. So, so we, we provide that marketing service. How, we, how are you marketing to them? Just practically speaking, how do you get in front of their eyes? Uh, in a variety of ways, but primarily it's online. Okay, so... so that, there's over... Uh, we, know, we know there's almost 2 million searches a month uh, for abortion-related keywords online, so we narrow down what those keywords are. And, and so a woman them. goes into Google and says, how do I get an abortion, and what yeah. happens? Uh, they'll see an ad. Uh, we we uh, compete to, to be at the top, and, and in some markets where there's more money, we'll take the first two or three spots. Uh, and so they see us, they, they click on NAD, uh, they call, and they talk to our contact center. Huh. So I, I, I bet a lot of people listening don't think that when they are just doing a search on Google that there are people who are competing for their, you know, their views, their their eyes like that. And obviously people in the abortion arena who make money every time a child is aborted have a financial incentive to compete for that, you know, for that marketing space, right? And That's exactly right. And so, okay, so what's what's the incentive for you guys to compete for it? Why do you think this is important? Well, we're saving lives, and we believe that this is the greatest uh, scourge in American culture. We're, we're killing our children at an alarming rate, uh, and we're we're winking at it as if it's not really a big deal. Even the church is winking at it. We're saying, yeah, it's, a, it's wrong, we don't agree with it, but, you know, I'm not really going to do anything about it. And, and the reality is, we say we're pro-life, we say we believe that child in the womb is, is a is a human being and, and has every right that everybody else does. But if, if these were, you know, five-year-olds on a playground who were killing it, you know, a million a year, I, I'm guessing the church would rise up and really right. do something about it. So what it tells me is we we say we believe that they're they're just like us, but, but we don't really believe it. Hmm. I'm This is Aaron Brownback. I'm talking with Sean Martin, the Senior Director of Church Outreach for Human Coalition. And Sean, tell us a little more. You said that um, churches can be involved, um, maybe aren't always involved as much as they could be. What's a, what's a really good example of a church that's been involved or a pastor that's speaking on this? Give us some ideas of how we can do this well. Well, I think Matt Chandler uh, out here in the Village Church here in, in north of Dallas uh, does a great job. He has uh, really pushed this. That as, as For their church, they have three kind of major issues they're tackling, and this is one of them. They, he talks about it on a regular basis. The church supports multiple pro-life organizations. He hasn't shied away from it at all. Um, this is something that he, uh, you know, primarily around January, Sacred Dis of Human Life Month, he really uh, takes an entire Sunday and focuses on it, not just the sermon, the entire service and, and weeks around it. 
but he talks about it throughout the year as well. So uh, for a, a pastor who's listening, how wh- what do they say? What do How do we need to talk about it in, in the church setting? Well, we have to be very careful. Uh, there's two primary reasons that, that pastors won't talk about abortion. Uh, there's a lot of reasons, but they boil down to two. Fear and ignorance are, are the two reasons. Fear, Fear and of, ignorance of them. the pastor or, or yes. of the congregation? Yeah, the pastor. Okay. Um, and so fear being, I'm, I'm afraid to talk about it because I don't want to hurt somebody. I don't want to offend somebody. Uh, it's a political issue. It, it's going to drive people away rather than drawing them in. Uh, and, and ignorance, and you know, we don't. And this this was me for a long, long time in the church. I didn't really talk about it much. I would touch on it here and there. But uh, we were the pro life church. We started the pregnancy center. We support them. You know, we bring them in every year. We highlight them. I mean, this is. But our folks aren't having an abortion when in reality they were. That they just wouldn't tell me that, of course. And so um, we needed to really address this issue because, as as shepherds of the flock, it's our job to to draw that uh, the sin of the congregation into the light so that they can find grace and healing. We have to do it with grace and compassion. We can't do it uh, stand up there and, and yelling at our congregation that you're you're murdering babies. That's not helpful. Uh, we have to do it with grace and compassion. We have to do it in a way that draws them in rather than pushes them away. I think there's ways to do that, and that's one of the things that we do is help pastors to talk about it. Okay, so... You know that I work on messaging the pro-family movement, so yeah. life is a big area that I um, work to craft messaging and get it out there into the public. And you and I, we went to college together, and so we grew up at a time when self-esteem, there was a real messaging push around the idea of self-esteem, right? The yes. You know, esteem yourself, make you know, you are valuable. Think of yourself as valuable. I can remember that. Even before I knew what a messaging campaign was, I can remember all of a sudden I'm hearing about this idea of self-esteem all the time. So when it comes to abortion, it seems like one of the issues that people face, pastors and others who talk about this, is how to deal with the issue of shame. Like, we don't want to make people feel ashamed, but this is an action that's wrong. Like, how can a pastor or just someone who's talking about it with their friends, their hairdresser, the the person at the checkout line, how can someone deal with that? Uh, that's a great question, and I think it's a critical thing that we have to think about when we're talking about it, no matter where it is, whether it's in, you know, from the pulpit on a Sunday morning or, or sitting with your hairdresser, you know, next to your kid's soccer game as you stand on the sideline. Uh, these things come up in conversation from time to right, time. Right, absolutely. I make sure they come up. <laughs> I, I, I yeah. like to just, I just bring them up. Hey, did you see that new video about Planned Parenthood selling baby parts? That was crazy, wasn't it? You know, I just make sure. Yeah, but, but most there. people are going to shy away from it, and so it comes up and it's going to take them by surprise. But right. um, our, our typical response to that is shy away from it. So if it comes up, they're going, oh, I'm, I'm uncomfortable, and they don't want to talk about it. But if we lead, and this is what we do when we speak, this is what I do all the time when I speak, we need to lead with grace, knowing that you know where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. The, the, the word really is hyperabounds. It, it's superabounds. Uh, one of my professors in seminary called it um, a, a stream of sin and a Niagara Falls of grace. Mm. We need to talk about it in that context, saying your sin is not bigger than the grace of God. I don't care what your sin is. You know, Jesus crucified. Jesus crucifixion. His, his death and resurrection was was significant enough to cover even the greatest of our sin, because of his perfection and his holiness, it, it wipes away whatever we've done. And, and abortion doesn't, 
doesn't you know that that doesn't outsin his grace. It, it it's not there. So um, so we need to talk about it in that context, making sure no matter what it is, in Jesus Christ you are forgiven. Uh, and, and so we need to encourage them to come, uh, to talk about it, to do it in a way that's um, uh, that's inviting rather than driving away, using words like murder, although it, it is the killing of an innocent life. Technically it is, but that language isn't really helpful when you're talking to somebody who's struggling mm. with, that, with that kind of shame. We need to lift that shame and, and lift them, what not about... minimizing the sin in any way. We don't want to minimize it. It is tragic and terrible, uh, but at the same time, that's how big grace is. Real quickly, Sean, what about someone, not someone who has had an abortion or is considering one, but someone who just is for it, who just says this isn't wrong? How do we how do we talk with them? How do we say, you know, if they say, oh, you're just shaming women? That's, again, a great question. I think we need to simplify the argument. Uh, One, we need to make sure that they understand our position. If If they're saying we're shaming women, they need to understand us. They need to understand our message. They need to understand our perspective. And so we need to do a better job of communicating it. Uh, I mean, that, that, that's first. Um, I usually ask questions when they make comments mm. like that. Well, tell me how I shame women. Yes. And be specific. I need to understand what you mean by that. And 99 times out of 100, when that conversation happens, they start stumbling. They that's a good it. point. That's a good point because they yeah. know you. They see your life. And so it's hard to say, yeah, this is how you're doing that. Hold that thought, Sean. You are listening to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I am Aaron Brownback filling in for Tom Brown. And we will be right back. This is Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Aaron Brownback, filling in for Tom Brown, and we are talking with Sean Martin, the Senior Director of Church Outreach for Human Coalition. You can go to humancoalition.org and find out more about what they're doing to create a culture of life. Sean, we were talking about how to talk with people about abortion and address the issue of shame. And you were saying, you know, when we're talking with someone who is an advocate for abortion, we, we say to them, show me what in my life I'm doing to shame women, right? Because the bottom line for those who promote a culture of life is we recognize that women are hurt by abortion. Would you say that's true, Sean? Absolutely. So it's not just the child. It's it's the women. It's the society around the women. And the men. And the men. Good point. Good point. Very few men have any say, um, you know, in, in what ultimately happens. However, I don't know if um, – you know, everybody's familiar with this statistic, but the number one cause of death of a pregnant woman is murder, typically at the hands of the father of the child or someone who wants her to have an abortion. So what we found is a huge percentage of women have been coerced into having abortions. Sean, can you tell us a little bit about that and how that plays a role in the work that you do? Absolutely. There's a there's a huge pressure you know, when, when, a, when a man, whether it's you know, the father of the baby or the father of the woman right. uh, tells the woman, you know, if you, if you keep this baby, you're out. I'm kicking you out. Uh, where does she go? Uh, where does she, who does she lean on? The, the greatest support system she had just ripped the rug out from under her, and she's left wondering, where do I go? 
Uh, and so you, you talk about the shame that you mentioned earlier and the pain that they're carrying and the loss that they already have. And now if I keep this baby, I'm going to lose more and I don't know where to go and what to do. And, and they really feel like they have no choice. And so one of the things that we try to show them is there are choices and there are people that are going to come alongside you. And so we train in our continuum of care, we train mentors from local churches to come alongside and, and walk with them through that process to ultimately try to plug them into the church so that they have that support system. So small groups are throwing baby showers. Uh, we have women that we're supporting uh, for in, in apartments to get them a place to stay. Uh, so that they're safe and away from from those who are threatening them. I mean, there, there's all kinds of things that we do in that continuum of care to meet her immediate and longer term needs. You know, to get her a GED or other training. Uh, in some cases, a job, childcare. I mean, you know, you know, count drug counseling. What I mean, we have all kinds of things set up for these women to care for them, not just to save the baby, but to actually care for them to change their circumstances. Right to save the family. To That's save right. that woman and that child and, and the family that comes around them. You know, um, I found this on even the most pro-abortion activism websites. I have found that they have said um, up to 65% of women say that they felt coerced into having an abortion. 65% for those who are promoting abortion – that's incredible that they would say that. And I know there's statistics out there that say 83% of women say they felt that they had no other choice. And if you right. think of how, I mean, who, all the different people who have um, a stake in a woman having an abortion, like you said, the, the father of the child, the parents of the mother. But then you think about groups like Planned Parenthood and others who actually make money on abortion and have sales quotas. That's abortion right. quotas like that's that's crazy when you think about how much people hate like speeding quotas right you know to think <laughs> they've got a quota for how many abortions they're going to do now you have said on your side that you have um tangible documented data and evidence that we are actually seeing a decrease in abortion in the communities that you're that you're working in tell us a little bit about that yeah, so we again we measure everything that we do because and you're so, businessmen because it's run exactly. organized by businessmen that makes sense exactly and so uh, so we know how many, exactly how many abortions uh, and, and some of this were dependent on government data and some of it's you know dated so it's a couple of years old so when they put out their statistics of this how, this is how many abortions have happened in the community uh, the, the cities that we're working in that we've been in for a few years now we're seeing significant drops uh, in those in those areas uh, cities like Pittsburgh and. Um, and here in Grapevine, Dallas uh, area, we're seeing drops. So there's, we're not claiming we're the only reason for those drops. There's a lot of factors that go into that, but we're seeing uh, tangible evidence that that there is a difference being made. Um, we believe, obviously, we're a part of that. Uh, we can tell you uh, in a very concrete way exactly how many abortions we've prevented in the cities that we work in, um, how many lives that we've we've worked cooperatively to save. Uh, we know what those numbers are and. You know, we, we see the, the numbers um, that are coming out from the states now uh, reflecting decreases as well. So we believe there's an incredible reason to be hopeful. Uh, we, we hear a lot of um, folks in the pro-life movement being depressed or people in the church telling us we're never going to end it, uh, we can't possibly end this. If we look back at Wilberforce, you know, a 5,000-year institution that was enmeshed right, in slavery, the culture and, right. and the, in the economy, it was enmeshed in the economy. Mm -hmm. You take it away and the economy's going to collapse. You can't do this. Well, they did. And guess what? The economy didn't collapse. Um, and 
and we're looking at an institution that's 40 years old that's not enmeshed in the economy in the same way. Uh, we can certainly do without this. And, and there are a lot of studies out there that, that indicate if we had those people in the workforce that we've killed over the last 40 years, our economy would actually be much stronger rather than much weaker. Right. And 60 so, million. 60 million Americans in the last 40 years. It's a lot of people. It is. Yeah. So, um, so um, you... Part of what I love about this show is that we get to talk with you about your own family, right? You're out there, you're working on the issues of family, and um, you've got an incredible family story. And I just want to, I just want to get to talk with you a little bit about that. But, you know, I saw you, uh, you and Jill had gotten married, and you came back to to college while I was still in it, and you were pregnant with your first child. And then I saw you. What is it? 20 years later, and yeah. you have 11 children. So tell me, Sean, about how you went from your first child to your 11th child, nine of them being adopted, many of them, all of them being exposed to, to prenatal drugs and alcohol that you adopted. Tell us about your family. Well, it, it actually started while we were at Westminster. Um, Jill, as we got to know each other, before we were even talking about dating or marriage or anything, um, she would talk about adoption. And uh, I, she always wanted to adopt, and it was just a, something that God placed on her heart. I was uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum. I had a couple of friends growing up who were adopted. I saw the pain in their families. I saw the turmoil around adoption, and I wanted no part of it. And as we uh, you know, continued on the relationship and we're talking about marriage, she said, I, I just need you to, to look into this. And um, you've changed your views on a lot of issues since since I became a Christian. Right. You became a Christian in college, didn't you? Four days before I sat down and talked with her for the first time. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, yeah, it's amazing. And so uh, to make a long story short, um, I, I did look into it. I did you know, pray about it. I dug into the scriptures. I talked to some friends who were adopted. And by the time we were married, adoption was, was part of the plan. If the Lord chose to bless us with children biologically, great. If he didn't, great. We were going to adopt either way. And um, and the more we learned about adoption and what it meant, it's, it was it was a much bigger, broader field than I expected. Um, and the more we learned about it, the more our heart changed toward those who are going to be left behind and lost in the system. It became kids with special needs, and uh, we adopted our first adoption was twins. One of whom had Downs, had a hole in his heart, uh, was pending open heart surgery. If we could get him to ten pounds, he was born at four twelve, four pounds twelve ounces, and uh, and we actually couldn't get him to ten pounds. Uh, he was gonna. His heart was enlarging. He was getting weaker. He wasn't gonna make it. So we rolled the dice and did the surgery at eight pounds. And uh, he's now fourteen. It came through it perfectly well. Wow. And um, and that led very quickly, you know, just a few months later, to bringing another child who was uh, who had Downs and uh, again pretty early exposed to drugs home. And we suddenly had five children. Our oldest just turned three. Wow. And um, and we were overwhelmed with um, in in that process of of bringing that fifth child home. Uh, we realized that nobody uh, was fighting for these kids. Uh, these kids were in the system. They were being their, their immediate needs were being met, but they we didn't feel like anybody was really fighting for them. And uh, and so we said, okay, Lord, you bring them. We'll say yes. Um, you know, we'll we'll do whatever we can. We had no idea what that meant. <laughs> we didn't know that meant eleven children. Um, but here we are today with eleven. Yeah, and, you uh, don't know what you're signing up for when you say that. Right, but right. your household is so great. We're talking to Sean Martin from Human Coalition. This is Aaron Brownback on Faith Coinini on Faith Talk KPXQ. And Sean, 
I got to visit your house this last summer, and you guys homeschool all 11 of your kids, right? Right, yep. And you live basically on like a mini farm, and I got to be there. That One of the highlights of my whole summer was to see your baby goats. And I think... <laughs> <laughs> we got more babies right now. I saw you just had, what, eight more baby goats born? Oh, ten, I think. Ten? One. And all of yeah. the kids get to participate in those in those chores and household duties and things like that ar- around your home. Is that is that how you have it structured? Yeah, it's one of the reasons we got the farm because we wanted wanted all of our children to, to be able to work and participate and, and contribute to, to life on, on, in the family. And uh, animals are just a great way to teach responsibility and care and be, being able to be responsible for something other than yourself. And so uh, that's one of the reasons we, we wanted to have a farm. And and your wife. She homeschools them as you go out and work to save other other people's babies, other people's babies who you might end up adopting. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, yeah, That's it's true, amazing. Man. I'd love to have Jill on so we can talk with her about what a day on the farm is like in the Martin family. Yeah, she's amazing. She's uh, incredibly well-organized and structured and, and compassionate and makes sure each one gets exactly what they need throughout the day. And, uh, it's remarkable. It really is. I, sometimes during the homeschooling day, if I'm home and I'm around, uh, I often will just kind of take a backseat step away uh, because um, the way that the, the day works, uh, if I interject myself, I tend to throw things off. <laughs> so I, I will often just Well, I think this is really encouraging, Sean, for, for two reasons. For people who are thinking, you know, I personally would like to adopt children and help those who are really in need. I think your life and your family are a great example that this can be done and, and can be done well and with joy, even with its hardships, still with a lot of joy and fun. And also, those who are in the church and say, we want our church to be involved, they can be encouraged by what you and home and Human Coalition are doing, they can reach out, humancoalition.org. Is that right? .org, .com? .org. .org. Get in touch with you and learn how they can be a mentoring church. Sean, thanks so much for being with us today. This is Coin and Neon, Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Erin Brownback, filling in for Tom Brown, and we'll be right back. Welcome back. This is Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Erin Brownback, filling in for Tom Brown. And we just talked with Sean Martin from Human Coalition. You know, I love a great story. I love hearing about people who have a call and a passion to adopt children and go out and adopt nine children with special needs who've been exposed to drugs and alcohol in the womb and then have two children biologically of their own and have this family of 11 living on a farm, homeschooling, working with animals. I love good stories. I love getting to talk with people about their families and what drives them to do what they do. So I just want to tell you another story. There's a story about a young girl. She lived in a small town, the kind of town, you know, where everybody knows kind of what's going on in your life. And she was dating a guy that she was sure she was going to marry. And then very unexpectedly, here she is, a young teenager. She finds herself pregnant. Now, I'm sure a lot of thoughts went through her mind about 
what she could do to take control back in her life. Um, I'm sure she thought, gosh, I don't want my, my family, my friends, my small town to get a hold of this information. And, and I'm sure she faced a lot of difficult decisions. The girl that I'm talking about is Mary, the mother of Jesus, the most well-known unplanned pregnancy in the history of the world. She faced not only her town and her family potentially turning against her, but Joseph, her soon-to-be husband, saying, I don't, I don't really think I can marry someone who's pregnant. And Mary had just a huge decision about how she would respond. And you know, the way that she responded is so inspiring to me. It has been inspiring for my whole life. She said, I am the handmaiden of the Lord. Let it be with me, just as you say. That has been an inspiration to me for my own story and throughout my own life. And you know, God was faithful to her. He was faithful to her and Joseph. They faced great odds. They had people who were searching for Jesus to kill him. They fled. He took care of them. He took care of them in their marriage and in their family. And he was faithful to her. And God has done the same with me throughout my life. As you know, I work on the pro-family movement. I work on the issues of gender and marriage and sex and life and parenting. And particularly, I work on long-term messaging around those issues. How do we reconstruct the goodness of God's design for the family in our society? So to give you a little background, I grew up in Pennsylvania. I was working for a large national public foundation, and I felt called and burdened to be doing something more mission critical. So I was recruited by Alliance Defending Freedom to come and direct their Sanctity of Life communications, and I found out that they were in Arizona, and I thought, I can't move to the desert. My hair is going to look like a broom. But... I was willing. I came out and interviewed, and I was offered the position. And and I thought, you know, I'm not sure I really want to work in the pro-life world. I think it's fractured and strident and highly emotional and an issue of life and death, and everybody feels like they're doing it the right way. And I just didn't know if I wanted to be a part of that movement. But I felt God putting his calling on my heart. And so, like Mary, I said, I am the handmaiden of the Lord. Let it be with me, just as you say. And God was faithful. He allowed me to participate in large national messaging campaigns around the issues of life. I worked on the issue of exposing Planned Parenthood and how they create this culture that encourages promiscuity, that encourages crisis, because ultimately they make money when women are in crisis. And I also worked on the issue of Obamacare and how it um, gave free, quote-unquote, free insurance coverage. So by that I mean taxpayer-funded, you-funded insurance coverage for minors to get – contraception, uh, 
early abortion pills, sterilizations, and sex counseling. And the reason they said that they were doing this for free was so it wouldn't show up on parents' explanation of benefits. So kids could get it without their parents ever knowing. So I was able to work on these large national um, messaging campaigns, and I loved what I was doing, and God was faithful. And then it became clear that it was time for me to transition out of my position at ADF. And it was difficult. It was painful. I loved what I was doing. And, um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't ready to make the change that God put in front of me. But I said, I am the handmaiden of the Lord. Let it be with me just as you say. And God was faithful. He opened up the opportunity for me to start doing a PhD in social transformation and studying social movements and what we need to learn from successful social movements to apply to um, the issues of the family and reestablishing the goodness of God's design for the family as the ideal foundation for society. So I worked on that, and I had a whole variety of allies in the pro-family world start to ask me to consult with them on their messaging, and God has just blessed abundantly. He has allowed me to work with congressmen and attorneys general and family policy councils, pro-life groups and pro-family groups. And, you know, part of what happened during that time, I had been working on the pro-life issue. And we are winning in the pro-life world. Make no mistake. We have been messaging this for the last 30 plus years, um, almost all the way back to Roe v. Wade 40 some years ago. We have been working on this issue, and we are gaining incredible momentum. There were more pro-life laws passed in 2011 than had been passed in the 10 years before that combined, and it has just continued since then. The young generation is more pro-life than any generation since Roe v. Wade. In fact, the head of NARAL Pro-Choice America said about the March for Life, they are so young There are so many of them, and they are so young. We are winning in the pro-life world. But what I saw when I started working on this degree in social transformation and working with these allies was even though we were winning in the area of life, we were losing in the area of the family. And if we didn't win the area of the family in culture and reestablish that, if we had children being born but not being born into whole and healthy families, we would self-destruct as a culture. If you look back through history, you can find that there are cultures who have gone through what we are going through now. Rise in feminism, emasculation of men, rise in homosexuality, children not being in homes with two parents. And then what that ultimately leads to is the breakdown and the weakening of the military. Because when people are not in strong roles that they were designed for, one of the areas that suffers is the protection of the country. And if there's a rise from outside of the country, um, from from others who would seek to destroy and bring down that way of life, 
which we see ongoing with the issue of terrorism and, and um, you know, some of the Muslim countries that have made it clear that they want death to America. That is what they chant. Um, when that happens, then those cultures, those cultures die. And we've seen that from great, great societies and civilizations that have come before us, like Rome and Babylon and Greece. So don't think that because we live in America and it is peaceful and prosperous and the way it is now and the way you've grown up with, that it's always going to be that way because that is not what history has shown. So anyway, I started seeing we need to do something about the family. And I felt called to work on the pro-family issue. But I have to tell you, I am single. I have never been married. I don't have children. I would love to, more than anything, be in that position. But that is not where God has me. So I thought, well, God, how am I going to be a voice for the pro-family movement when I don't have a voice of a family of my own to speak about? But like Mary, I said, I am the handmaiden of the Lord. Let it be with me just as you say. And you know, God has been faithful. He has opened up the most incredible opportunities. He has uh, just given me the privilege of being a voice as a single woman for the family. A lot of times people write off when they hear somebody who's speaking from a position that they think, oh, well, they've got it. They've got it perfect. They've got it all figured out. And so they can't possibly understand what I'm going through. I find that a lot in the same sex world. Well, you, you, you know, they talk to people who are, who are married and have children and, and you've got someone to love you. You've got someone who you can go to bed with at night and you don't have to, you don't have to worry about being alone for the rest of your life. And I am standing here as living proof saying, no, I understand. I understand what it's like to be single, to be committed to purity, to be in your position and I am still saying the goodness of God's design for the family is the ideal foundation for society. Families are the ultimate building blocks of society. It's why I'm so passionate that we message the family well, that we as a culture value the health, the healthy and the whole family. And that's why I talk with people here on Koinonia Uh, at Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ about how they are messaging the family and what it's like in their family. We'll be right back. Stick with us. This is Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Erin Brownback. I've been filling in for Tom Brown today, and it has been great being with you all. I so enjoy getting to share this time with you, and it was wonderful getting to talk with Sean Martin from Human Coalition about how they are promoting a culture of life and how they expect to see abortion become unthinkable and unaccessible in our lifetime in America. If you are an individual who wants 
to be a voice for the, the prenatal child. If you are part of a church that you think can speak about this, can help moms, can be the church to women who are in crisis situations, then you need to contact humancoalition.org and find out what you can do to be a part of building a culture of life in our nation and in our lifetime. I'm Erin Brownback, and I loved getting to tell you a little bit about my story. And I would love to hear about your story. You can find me at erinbrownback.com or on my on my Facebook page. You can look up Erin Brownback and just send me a note. Tell me what your family's like. Tell me what you do to message the family in our culture. Tell me about conversations that you've had. Like I always say, I talk with my hairdresser. I talk with people at the checkout line. I talk with people all the time about God's design for the family because that is how we build up the family structure in society. So if I see a TV show that I think, wow, they're doing a great job of showing what a family looks like or should look like, I let them know. I tweet to them. I tell people, watch this show. And you should do the same thing. Look for look for the areas of entertainment. Look for the things you can participate in, the marches, the rallies outside of Planned Parenthood. And get involved. Be an active participant in building up the family in our society, in our lifetime. Thanks again for listening to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I have had a wonderful time guest hosting for Tom Brown. And I look forward to hearing from you on my website or on Facebook.